Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. This is Rob Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about Fruit of Paradise, uh, what I would characterize as a biblical surrealist comedy drama film uh, made in the late 60s by the Czech New Wave director Vera Chitilova. Uh, now I'm going to go ahead and apologize to Czech speakers if I'm not saying her name the way you would. I searched all over and unfortunately just ended up hearing people say it like seven different ways. So Chitilova is my best shot. That's what I'm going to say. And I think this movie is going to uh, be a little bit different than the kinds of uh, films we usually talk about on here for, for a number of reasons. So this movie, uh, Fruit of Paradise, is a lot of things at once. Uh, first of all, it is, in its context, a Czech film made against the backdrop of the 1968 Warsaw Pact invasion of Czechoslovakia. And Chitilova herself has said that this film can be interpreted through the lens of that invasion, uh, and I think also the consequent clampdown on freedoms, including free expression of artists and filmmakers. But... If you're looking for like direct heavy-handed political allegory where it's like ah you know this this one here is the is the premier of the Soviet Union and this one here is it, it doesn't really have that you're not going to find it because from scene to scene I would say that the main characteristic of Fruit of Paradise 
is the wandering and humorous exploration of an unconstrained mind, sort of hopping from one strange image and situation to another. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Uh, And at the same time, despite having those characteristics, this movie also does have a thematic frame, which is that it is, in some sense, a very loose retelling of the Garden of Eden story from the Book of Genesis. Except for most of the movie, after an amazing uh, opening sequence that's a little more like a a psychedelic direct retelling of the Garden of Eden story, uh, for most of the runtime, Adam and Eve are represented by Yosef and Eva, two modern people wearing modern clothes, and the Garden of Eden is represented as a Central European health spa where couples chase balloons on the sandy beach of a rock quarry. Uh, and then also the uh, the snake or the devil, though remember in the actual biblical narrative, it, it never says the snake is a devil of any kind. He's just a snake. But here, I think it has both valences. Here, the snake or the devil is Robert, a clumsy, awkward, frankly, almost adorable gentleman with a red beard, wearing a red suit, who rides a bicycle, uh, falls over a lot, and is probably a serial killer who murders women, and he really loves rolling a big rock through the bog. He has a strong uh, Doctor Who character vibe to him, I would say. He has that kind of uh, energy to him. Not saying necessarily a, 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 doc, a doctor himself, but I could see him being uh, the master or something. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm, I don't think I'm familiar with the master. I was going to say his energy kind of reminds me of the actor who they got to play Mycroft Holmes in the BBC Sherlock Yes, Mark Gaddis. Uh, I think that's a, a good comparison. By the way, a lot of great actors have played Mycroft Holmes over the, the years. I was just glancing. Of course, you have Charles Gray, but also like Peter Cushing, um, uh, you have, uh, Risa Fons. I mean, there's a whole list of, uh, of wonderful actors. But it's definitely a type. There's a type of energy. Also, another thing that distinguishes this movie is that while we've done a lot of really strange films on Weird House Cinema before, I'm pretty sure this is our first completely non-narrative film, meaning it only really has a story in the loosest possible sense. Uh, and the real organizing principle here is not plot, I would say, but theme. Like, the movie is made out of a series of weird impressionistic vignettes and images that are chained together by associations. So you might have Ava clipping herbs in the Garden of Eden, and then the devil almost pees on her. And then she's uh, trying to bury some carrots in the sand, and then the sand kind of takes over, and the health spa ensemble is now doing a a bizarre balloon volleyball ballet in the sand, uh, at a rock quarry, by the way, not on a mm-hmm. like natural beach. Um and so it it goes from thing to thing like that. And personally, I, I loved this movie, but fair warning that if you've never watched a feature-length non-narrative film before, it's a different kind of experience, and one that really shows you the power of narrative storytelling, like how a conventional plot really helps keep your attention effortlessly, while effortful attention would be required in its absence. Uh, and Chitilova did make more conventionally narrative-driven films at different parts of her career, especially later in her career. In fact, she did a really odd-looking uh, uh, sci-fi horror movie in the late 80s that I may want to come back to at some point. Uh, but anyway, even if the idea of a feature-length non-narrative film isn't usually your cup of tea, I think it's worth giving Fruit of Paradise a chance. It, it is an absolutely bizarre, funny, delightful, and thoughtful work of art. I think narrative in a film, it's often like, um, it's like sweetener in a drink. Uh, mm. You can have too much of it. 
Uh, and you can think you have too much of it sometimes, but then every now and then a film comes along to remind you the purely dry experience uh, is is a little different and perhaps not for, for all tastes, certainly. Um, so, yeah, this is an interesting film to, to talk about because it, it definitely has its, has its, weird, uh, its weirdness to it. And uh, I love things about it. Um, but yeah, when you start looking at experimental art films, uh, you know, the, the, those are dangerous words, experimental art film, as dangerous <laughs> as co-starring George Eastman or, or something to that effect. Uh, because there, there are plenty of experimental art films out there that can be a chore to get through uh, if you're not in the right mindset. Uh, some are pretty scandalous uh, as well. And uh, today's film certainly was considered a little bit too much by the Czechoslovakian authorities of the time. Yeah, apparently uh, Titilova could not get films made for for years after doing this. The uh, the the Soviet uh, censors were were not a fan. <laughs> this is a, it's interesting. Consider one of the things I'll, I'll come back to later is that in in other parts of the world and in other decades, uh, censors were were far more forgiving. If, if a film had Adam and Eve in it, uh, you know, if they're like, oh, it's based on the Bible. Well, then, yes, then this is this is OK. This is uh, your erotic statement uh, can can exist on the screen because it is uh, is biblically based. Uh, that that obviously didn't fly in uh, Czechoslovakia uh, in what was this, 1970? Well, I think that might have been when it was released in the I think this was made in the late 60s. Late 60s Czechoslovakia, not ready for the um, surrealist um, uh, feminist take on Adam and Eve. Yeah. In fact, um, I was watching part of an interview with uh, Chitilova where she was talking about the making of Fruit of Paradise. And so I think they were at least shooting part of it during the the invasion in 1968, uh, at least according to this story, if I'm understanding it right, because she's talking about how they were uh, shooting parts of the movie in a sandstone quarry. Mm -hmm. Um, And she said, you know, they were shooting it sort of on the sly because uh, she says, quote, in the meantime, the occupation had started. Uh, but the place where they were shooting was, uh, quote, outside the turmoil. I happened to be pregnant at the time. I learned about the occupation in maternal home. And at night, when I was breastfeeding my child, I heard the bombardiers. It was very early morning when the air fighters came into Prague. After that, we were afraid we wouldn't be able to get out of the city. It was quite a risky trip. We were driving against those tanks. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, we always have to to take into account the the time period and the world out of which uh, uh, an environment out of which a film emerges. So, uh, yeah, there's some some fascinating uh, backstory for for this one. Now, before we go uh, any any further here, uh, you might be wondering, well, where can I watch this film? Uh, it, uh, p- perhaps you want to see Fruit of Paradise as well. Well, it is available on DVD, but you can also stream it on Criterion Channel. Uh, as I believe I've said before, there's a lot of weird and wonderful stuff on Criterion Channel. So if you want to watch the Three Colors trilogy, if you want to catch up on the works of Akira Kurosawa, uh, done, obviously. But you can also watch Elliot Gould in the 1978 boxing kangaroo movie in which the kangaroo is a human in a kind of uncanny kangaroo costume, Matilda. Uh, you can watch a bunch of Godzilla films. You can watch Fiend Without a Face. You can watch you can watch Eyes Without a Face, and much much more. So it's well worth that two week trial window, no matter what you're you're looking for. Actually, it also has multiple films of Vera Chitilova, uh, so I may end up watching more, including that that sci fi horror one from the eighties. Are you talking about uh, Wolf's Hole? Yes. That one that one looks very interesting. Yeah, I'd 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 love to see you know, what she does when she has the structure of genre to work with. Because, you know, when I think about the art films that, I've, that I like, uh, 
but also some that I don't like. <laughs> it, you know, they, there's generally some sort of trappings of genre there to give it to help give it that structure. And this one has, you know, the, the mythic uh, structure of the myth of Adam and Eve, certainly. Um, and I can't imagine, you know, the, this film without it. I mean, that that's kind of its guiding framework. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'd love to see what she does with a with a kind of. Um, a rural camping snow horror movie warning uh sort of vague spoilers here but i think as best i understand wolf's hole is sort of about like aliens who kidnap a bunch of children for like a for a, a mountain a winter a winter mountain camp and then try to make them turn on each other but it's maybe about the children discovering how to work together against their alien captors <laughs> oh that sounds good i like that all right, well, let's come back to Fruit of Paradise, though. Um, elevator pitch for this, I would I would summarize that, especially the, the middle portions of the film, by saying sometimes you chase the devil and sometimes the devil chases you. Yeah, and sometimes you want to kill the devil and sometimes the devil's going to kill you and sometimes mm-hmm. the devil isn't going to kill you and sometimes right. you're in love with the devil. Yes. And sometimes the devil pees in your garden. That's true, that's true. <laughs> All right, well, let's have some some audio from this. I believe we have some trailer audio. Well, let's talk about the people. You know, we, we've already talked. To, you've already talked a good bit about uh, Vera Chitilova here, uh, the director. Uh, also, she's credited with writer dialogue. She lived 1929 through 2014. Czech film director and writer of note, who often ran afoul of state censors, her 1966 surrealist comedy Daisies was banned, and at one point, uh, yeah, she was banned herself uh, from making films. Uh, other films of note include 1992's comedy. The Inheritance of, uh, and I'm not going to say the full title here, at least the English one, but it's like F Off Guys Go Odd Day. Um, I think it's Good Day. <laughs> good Day. Okay. It's all run together. These are like, uh, it's the F uh-huh. and then Off Guys Good Day. Uh, <laughs> anyway, surrealist comedy, uh, I'm, I'm to understand. And then 1987's Wolf's Hole, which we already talked about, which is a, a psychological horror movie that, uh, I, or perhaps an alien film. I don't know. We haven't seen it yet, but it seems like it's very well regarded. I was reading, uh, getting some biographical details from her 2014 obituary in the New York Times by Marguerite Fox. And uh, so... Chitilova was born in 1929 in uh, Ostrava, now part of the Czech Republic, uh, uh, Czechoslovakia when she lived there. And uh, she went to university where she originally studied philosophy and apparently architecture. Uh, and then after that worked a interesting assortment of jobs. She was, uh, quote, a technical draftsman, a photo retoucher, a fashion model, and finally uh, quote, Clapper Girl at the Czech National Film Studio. I think uh, Clapper Girl refers to somebody who, who manages the film slates, you know, the slates that you use to uh, uh, designate the beginning of each shot. 
But I read that she also just did odd jobs around the studio as well. Uh, and it was apparently while managing Slates at the National Film Studio that she became more interested in filmmaking and eventually went to film school at the Academy in Prague, where she was the only woman in her class. Chitilova's early career is uh, often grouped with the movement known as the Czech New Wave, which is a term used for a a style of boundary-pushing filmmakers in Czechoslovakia in the 1960s, characterized, I think, just by defiance of pre-existing film conventions and kind of uh, dissident attitude and and personal freedom. So this might include uh, more sort of casual, mundane, down-to-earth film subjects that were less the sort of lofty, pretentious films of the past, or it might include uh, totally avant-garde films, avant-garde techniques, non-linear narratives, surrealism, absurdism, uh, usually dissident politics, and satirical or dark comedy. And I think I would say the comedy is one of the most interesting elements to me, because one of the things about Fruit of Paradise is that it's I would not say it's overtly a comedic film, at least not no. most of the time, because it's not packed with like jokes, but almost every scene is sort of humorous in some way. It's kind of like happening with a with a a strange edge of irony and and you can tell that the actors are like almost always about to break into laughter. I would say it definitely creates an air of levity that uh, that that helps with with this film because to come back to the to the spirits analogy it's um, it's like this cocktail has no sweetener in it it's it's more like you know it's the straight art but there is an uh, there is an umbrella put in it. There's a there's a nice garnish to it, and that is the the comedy uh, that provides this sense of levity. Uh, and uh, and I think uh, and that that is something I really like about it. Like if this if this had been like an ultra serious um, right film, I, I I mean it just it would it would have been an entirely different film. I don't know if it would have been anywhere nearly as enjoyable. I would say actually the tone is exactly the opposite of what you would expect if somebody told you it is an avant-garde retelling of the Adam and Eve story. So mm-hmm. you'd think, okay, serious, heavy-handed art film. But no, instead, this is like it's it, it's such a feeling of um, of amusement and lightness and freedom. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it also doesn't have that that crushing feel. Like you know, if you read the the account of Adam and Eve, it um, it's it's kind of a downer. <laughs> it's yeah. about the fall of man, and and it has uh, you know all of the. It also has all these other connotations of um, you know that make you question the the nature of God and uh, you know the overtly um, you know anti feminine. Um, uh, attributes to the tale as well. Uh, mm. You know, it's it's Eve's fault for listening to a snake and and uh, and, and eating an apple and so forth. Uh, so yeah, it's not the kind of thing that you w- you might instantly think like this. This will be a nice uh, light uh, feminist art film. Yeah, and I think that spirit of freedom works really well with the Adam and Eve subject matter in multiple ways. So in one sense, it comes through in that sense of irony that we have infusing every scene. But the other thing is about the like symbolic ambivalence of the story, because there mm-hmm. are multiple things about the Adam and Eve story that you can take in diametrically opposed uh, uh, meanings. So like 
what is the what what is the role of the snake? You can look at the story in one way where the snake is the corrupter, the corrupter who you know who who gets them kicked out of the garden, but the other way of looking at it is that the snake is the Prometheus figure. The snake yeah. is the one who tells them the truth that they can eat of the tree and it will not kill them to eat of it, uh, and that they have been they have been living a lie inside the garden. And I would say both readings of the story I think are found in this film. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay eBay Motors is here for the ride. 
Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed a 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Now, Fruit of Paradise is not Chitilova's most famous film. I would say her most famous, uh, easily, is a 1966 surrealist comedy she made called Daisies, which is about two girls who are both named Marie. They are Marie 1 and Marie 2, who essentially decide that the world is spoiled and wicked. And so they uh, make a conscious decision to become spoiled and wicked in return. And from here, they engage in a string of bizarre, high-energy, surreal, and decadent acts. Uh, some reviewers have characterized these as pranks. I think that's true for some things they do in the movie, but it doesn't really capture other things. Like, mm-hmm. So this does include uh, like uh, like pranking lecherous older men, but it also includes things like running around trying to snip each other's arms off with scissors, I think, and to some extent succeeding with the help of film editing techniques that move their <laughs> arms around on the screen, uh, or dancing around on the top of banquet tables, like stomping high heels on what British film critic Mark Kermode characterized as phallic foods. <laughs> Take that, patriarchy. Chitilova herself seems to be, and I totally understand this from artists all the time, she seems to have resisted attempts to characterize her work with a any particular like stamp of ideology or artistic style. She, she tended, you know, so like, I don't want labels, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, though her movies have been characterized by others as feminist, as individualist, as anarchist or anti-authoritarian, as socialist, as manic or absurdist. I think you can find elements of all of that in there. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, yeah, the manic vibe is, is very present. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely a feminist take on the on Adam and Eve, and I think this is this is something that I really ended up ruminating more on when I looked at some of the other Adam and Eve movies that have come out over the years, and I'm going to get to those later in the episode. But almost all of them, one thing that I found in common is you would have a pretty much a, a name actor, uh, like a, a pretty boy or a muscle boy, playing Adam. But then mm-hmm. Eve was very often played by an unknown, essentially a model uh, mm-hmm. that uh, had no acting experience and sometimes did not act after the film. So, ob- you know, obviously there's all this energy being put into Adam and Eve is just a prop. Eve is not really uh, a character uh, in the portrayal for the most part. Uh, this film is, ve- is very much the opposite. I mean, Eve is front and center. She is the focus. She's the, if there's a character that we truly identify with and can imagine the internal world of, it is Eve or, or Eva 
uh, is this a film where she's called Eva? Well, I think that's, I think Eva is just the, uh, Czech way of saying Eve. Mm, okay. So it's, it's the same, I think, but yeah, it's, it's Ava in the movie. But when you agree, she's, she's the center of this film. And I, I would, it, the main characteristic I would identify of, of Ava in this movie is freedom. There is something mm-hmm. about her that just exudes a, at an, an infectious, almost dangerous freedom. Yeah. And I think that's funny in how it aligns with uh, something that Chitilova actually said about herself. Apparently, this is a quote that she said about herself in a documentary by somebody named Yasmina uh, Blazevic. Uh, Chitilova said, I was daring enough to want absolute freedom, even if it was a mistake. I think that's perfect. I mean, that that really sums up, I feel like, the whole vibe of, of, of the Eve character in this film, because it's not like a... She's not like a righteous rule breaker where, where again, we would have to imagine this maybe super serious take on this that, uh, uh, that handles it differently. But, but yeah, she is, she is dangerously free. Uh, she's going she's gonna to do what she wants. And yeah, it might actually screw up paradise, but that's the, that's the price of freedom. She, in this movie, she is not chaotic good. She's not chaotic evil. She's chaotic neutral. Yeah. And chaotic neutral in uh, Dungeons and Dragons, like that's, that's often characterized as a, as, as a type of character that is difficult or annoying to play. <laughs> so it's it also, you might, you might well find her character maybe difficult and annoying in this film, because again, the chaotic neutral mindset, it's not something that necessarily works well as the central focus of a traditional narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's the, the problem you get into with Dungeons and Dragons. Like, oh, you're just going to be, you're just going to be a crazy person. Well, I'm, we're trying to all tell a story here together, but in an art film like this, I mean, that's, it's kind of perfect. Uh, an art film, or I would say, uh, any kind of like a surrealist kind of comedy, something mm-hmm. where, where the, the character, the central character is the jester. The jester. That's a good way of putting it. I, I would agree with that characterization here. Um, uh, one more quote about herself, uh, that I found is, uh, Chitilova apparently, once called herself an overheated kettle that you can't turn down. Uh, I think she was describing her, her sort of filmmaking style that it's very like, it's very passionate and high energy and relentlessly pursuing the freedom to realize what she, what she feels like putting on screen. Even if somebody's telling her, don't do this. Mm. I will say that 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 is one of the the great things about an art film, even ones that, that I haven't particularly enjoyed in the past. Um, uh, just to, I keep I keep alluding to this. Let me actually say which film I'm thinking of because some of you might be f- familiar with it. Yes, uh, a 1989 film called Begotten. Uh, this hmm. is uh, uh, by uh, E. Elias uh, Merhij. Uh, this is the guy who I believe went on to make Shadow of the Vampire. Um, oh. So a talented director, but Begotten is very much a weird art film often described as an experimental horror film uh, that is visually very impressive, but also very serious. And I thought, and, and for me, I, rather boring. Mm. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, uh, that, that I think is often the kind of conundrum with an art film. It's like you get this pure vision and that vision is not it's not a, it's not necessarily a narrative it's not a commercial film it's not it's not it's not really about entertaining you per se um it's it has a different agenda in place and um 
in, in, in that respect, uh, yeah, you can't really judge it with the same criteria. Uh, that being said, I will drive home again that, yes, um, Fruit of Paradise, f- far more enjoyable, a far more <laughs> enjoyable experience. And, um, and certainly n- nobody disembowels themselves. Like I was thinking of well, what, <laughs> what would be kind of like the bingo card of art films based on ones I've seen. And it would be stuff like, okay, um, uh, you know, copious amounts of nudity, um, disembowelment, um, I don't know what else. I, I didn't get very far with this experiment. Your personal history may trend toward more like sort of horror themed experimental films. Yeah. Yeah. In, in large part, I guess it has like, and, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, certainly when you think of the films of say, like, um, a, a lot of like the psychedelic experimental films or, or mm-hmm. getting into the work of, uh, of Jodorowsky, you know, that's stuff that is going to, again, have at least one foot in some sort of genre experience, be it yeah. West. Western or fantasy or or horror. Uh, so, um, yeah, the, but then again, you come back to this film and it does have one foot firmly in the world of myth. Anyway, I got off on a tangent there about begotten. Oh. I don't even remember what my original point was. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right, man. We're all good. Okay, so uh, so we've just been talking about uh, Chitilova herself for a while, but she did not make this movie completely alone. Uh, she had collaborators, including somebody named Esther Krumbakova, who Chitilova had worked with multiple times before, or at least worked with multiple times. Yeah, uh, she lived 1923 through 1996, primarily a Czech costume designer, but also a writer who also wrote and directed 1970s Killing the Devil. And she also worked on the screenplay for Daisy. So like you say, she was a frequent collaborator. Now, we mentioned how much we loved uh, the character Ava in this movie. And a lot of that is not just the weird things she does from scene to scene. Uh, The actress who plays her is also really great. And this is somebody named Yitka Novakova. Yeah, yeah. She lived 1932 through 2018. Czech actor, most mostly active during the 1970s. And yeah, it's just such a great screen presence. Uh, I would, I was thinking of how to describe it. I would say she has an impish energy to her, getting yes. again into that jester vibe that she has going. Like I said, that dangerous sense of freedom that's even there in the expressions on her face and is trending very much toward a mischievousness. Yeah. And uh, again, this just stands in stark contrast to, I think, most cinematic Eves. You'll see Adam and Eve movies tend to fall into that category that I think of as doll people movies, where you Mm. have some sort of, of overly innocent people that often they often end up playing it kind of dumb, like innocence mm-hmm. as kind of a stupidity. Uh, I think of, you know, movies like The Clonus Horror, uh, anything where you have adults <laughs> behaving sort of like children, but but again, good, often going in this sort of daft d- direction of that. But here, yeah. I feel like Eva is very much, uh, you know, we're talking about a character who is innocent, who is uh, in, a, in a sense, uh, a person with the mind of a child, but in the chaotic sense, in a, yeah. in, but in a way that is still very much a, a part of the innocence of childhood. And, uh, and it's just, it's beautifully captured, beautifully acted. Uh, this Ava is not going to go to America. When they say it's time to go to America, she's like, no, I'm going to run with scissors now. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, because seriously, you think of like Eve, you think of, of, of children, and you think of Adam, you think of children. And yes, a child may say something like, what is a flower, father? What is a butterfly? I don't know. But they're also going to be the type of, uh, of individual to say, smear something sticky on the wall just to see what it looks like. I mean, <laughs> children are, are innocent, but they are, there is this chaos to them. They are... 
they are testing the world. And you get a strong sense of that in this performance. Now, Rob, I didn't think about this beforehand, but the two named male characters in this movie are Robert and Joseph, which are our names. Uh, Unfortunately, my name corresponds to the boring one. I am Adam, (laughs) who, how would you characterize Adam in this movie? He's a weird kind of back note to everything. Like he's this uh, uh, kind of alternately well-meaning and devious, but also sometimes oblivious older man. Yeah, it's a strange energy because, uh, again, stands out from other Adam and Eve films because it's not uh, a muscle dude. Uh, it's uh, though he seems to be in, in good shape, but he is obviously a, an older guy. It was really kind of hard to put a finger on, but yeah, there's something kind of unsettling about him, but not overtly so. I, I anytime he was on screen, I was just kind of puzzling over his presence. Uh, but this is this character, Adam, in this movie, Yosef, played by Carl Novak. I guess I would say that at times he has more of a partner vibe and other times he has kind of a a would-be controller vibe. I don't know if I'm reading mm-hmm. too much into the film, but uh, I guess I was also thinking about sort of a, a, a more feminist portrayal of Adam and Eve, one in which you're going to lean less on the idea that, that Eve has messed up, and let's get into the flaws of Adam in all of this as well. But it's interesting because it doesn't just simply recast the Adam figure as like the villain. I would not call him the villain of this movie. I would just call him uh, kind of... Uh, morally confused and ambiguous. Yeah. Now to get to the more interesting to your namesake here in the film, the character (laughs) Robert, this is our snake slash devil played by Jan Schmid. Yes. uh, Schmid was born 1936. And uh, if IMDb is correct, uh, still alive as of this recording, Czech actor, writer, and director. I'm not familiar with most of the films that he's credited with, but I was taken by the fact that he's in a 1982 film titled, what is this? Uh, Ferret Vampire? Ferrat? I, I have Ferrat no idea. Vampire? <laughs> uh, I'll, just, I'll just skip to the summary. This is off of uh, IMDb. Quote, okay. A Dr. Marek is shocked when his beloved nurse, Mima, signs a contract with foreign car manufacturer Ferrat or Ferret uh, in order to work for them as a rally driver. A fellow <laughs> doctor makes him believe that human blood is being used as fuel for Mima's ever-winning car. But does that really work? I, we have to watch this. This must be seen. <laughs> yeah, I, so that that grabbed my attention. But yeah, in this movie, uh, uh, Schmidt plays Robert, a weird guy in a red suit, uh, almost always, I think, wearing a red suit. He is described as a loner at this health resort slash paradise. Uh, again, possibly a murderer uh, and almost certainly the devil. Like, there's no denying it. Yeah, this guy is supposed to be our devil figure. He is a weird nerd, the most adorably awkward Satan. Yeah, he's not your suave Satan. He's not your mustache-curling Satan. Exactly. Though there are there are scenes where he is a little more villainous, overtly uh-huh. so. But other times, yeah, he's just kind of awkward. He's just a fish out of water here. Uh, they are often describing him as like, oh, he's, he's the only one here who's alone. Yeah, everyone else here is couples. And so in that, there's this sense of pity, but also this sense of potential danger, you know, that he's potentially, potentially lecherous, uh, which is an interesting, in a way, it's, it's like a balanced way of looking at a Satan character. Is, is he to mm-hmm. be pitied or is he to be blamed or is it both? Well, and also that, uh, that thing I mentioned earlier about, is he the corrupter or is he the person who actually brings true knowledge that pulls the, the wool away from your eyes? Yeah. I don't know what you, the, the Satan Prometheus dichotomy. 
Though he did bring a gun to a health spa, which I feel like that's a red flag. Bad, bad call, Satan. Now, one thing I have got to say about this movie, though, is I loved the music, uh, mm-hmm. especially at certain parts. Like, there's a whole scene uh, that uh, where where Ava just goes up into the attic and starts playing drums, and it turns yeah. into this weird drum solo that uh, uh, later involves uh, trying to push a statue out of a window to land yeah. on her and kill her. Um, but uh, but the music throughout the movie is just great. I, I think actually probably my favorite part of music in the whole thing is the beginning sequence with the the psychedelic nude Adam and Eve uh, with the with the the like choirs singing the lines from the biblical story. Yeah, yeah, that that was wonderful. Uh, and yeah, there and then the music. There are times where the music is more whimsical because again, there are a lot of whimsical scenes. But then there is just a lot of of electronic and and kind of choral, kind of eerie, ethereal uh, sound pieces that are in play here. And uh, I loved those. So I th- I think the, the the music for for me is one of the the strongest elements of the film. And the music here is from Zdenek Liska who lived 1922 through 1983, Czech composer who worked on film scores from the 1950s through the early 1980s. He's noted for his use of electronic sounds and is known for his work on the early short films of stop-motion surrealist Jan Svankmeyer. In addition to Fruit of Paradise, he also worked on such notable Czech films as The Valley of the Bees, The Cremator, and uh, Ikari XB1. This was a 1963 science fiction film based loosely on Stanislaw Lim's The Magellanic Cloud, uh, which also I've read may have been partial inspiration for Stanley Kubrick's 2001. Oh, interesting. Uh, You attached a couple of screenshots. This looks like a movie I would like to see. I think you know my affinity, as has come through a little bit on the show so far, for like uh, for like Eastern block science fiction mm. films. They're not always amazing, but there's something about them. That's, that's kind of fun. Yeah. I was pulling up some stills from this one. Yeah. And, uh, and some of them look exactly like uh, some sort of a, an early sixties, uh, sci-fi world. You know, you have the, the Robbie, the robot esque robot there. You have old mm-hmm. dudes and weird space costumes, but also some very stylistic looking interiors. I'm not saying it's anything on the level of planet of the vampires, uh, but still <laughs> it looks, it looks pretty solid. Oh yeah. I see what you're saying though. It, it's not on the planet of the vampires level, but the sets and the costumes have that quality. Like you would like to touch and feel them. Right. You know, I, I want to touch that headrest. So anyway, strong music in this film. And yeah, I guess getting right into the, the well, the, the plot a bit, if you will, the, <laughs> that opening sequence is pretty tremendous. Yeah. This, uh, this paradise sequence of the, uh, what we're to think of is not the modern paradise that we're examining in this film, but the, the primordial paradise. This is where we have two uh, fully nude individuals that are walking through this psychedelic landscape with kind of kaleidoscopic colors and botanical motifs swirling around them, all while this, this wonderful soundscape plays. Yeah, the, we see them moving through the garden and there is this quality of it's like stained glass, but with a texture of autumn leaves coming down over everything. And the colors are cascading and this amazing music is playing. Uh, that, that whole sequence at the beginning is just fantastic, I think. This is also as nude as the film is going to get. So if you're, if you're hoping that this level of nudity will be maintained throughout the film, you will be disappointed. Uh, though there will be a, a, at least a splash of nudity later on. Yeah, from here, I don't really know... <laughs> 
what's the best way to to approach like the part where we we would normally break down the plot because like you know th- there's nothing there's no story in particular to follow uh but maybe i don't know we could talk about some moments that stood out to us um th- so the movie starts with kind of Eva wandering around in this overgrown garden area and there's part mm-hmm. where she she climbs over a wall that seems to be a crossing of a threshold of sorts and she's like harvesting uh herbs and vegetables I guess for for uh food but literally we alluded to this earlier there's a part where she's crawling around clipping herbs from the ground and suddenly she nearly gets peed on by the devil and the devil is like standing atop the wall uh uh Peeing. And as I, if I recall, she seems uh, sort of uh, interested and amused by this turn of events. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's an odd sequence. And, and the devil, I don't think he knows that she's down there. He's just peeing because he has to relieve himself. Yeah. Uh, and there are scenes of her around this section where she's like running around with a knife. I was like, that's not safe. But for some reason, it works. It's very funny. Yeah, it's this huge Michael Myers signature edition kitchen knife that she's running around with, and thankfully nobody gets hurt. Now, the we alluded to the to earlier to the the filming locations. The filming locations are really interesting in this film. There's there, there are scenes where we have this kind of beachy desert quality, mm-hmm. strange rock formations, and indeed there's a sequence later on, and I'm. I'm a little uh, foggy on exactly what was happening in this sequence, but there's a woman, there's a nude woman reading a book down in this kind of rock cleft. Oh yeah, uh, and then our characters encounter her, and there's it's there's a, the camera goes down into the cleft as well. It's it's a very beautiful sequence. Yeah, it involves this like very narrow slot canyon, mm-hmm. um, and then there are other parts where you see somebody. I think maybe at one of the top ledges above that canyon pushing a boulder toward the edge, yes. like they're going to push it off to land on somebody. Which is a recurring theme in the movie. Yeah. Actually, there's a scene so where uh, where the devil and Adam are both. They're like having a conversation in the attic of a house, and they're like, "Hey, look at this beautiful marble statue." And they they get the idea: What if we push this out the window so it lands on Eve? Well, maybe we should try it. And so there's that, there's the pushing the statue out the window, there's the pushing the rock off the ledge to land on somebody. I I don't know exactly what to say this theme means. And in fact, I think I've made my feelings about this clear on the show before. I'm less a fan of like really direct allegory where it's like, oh, well, this image means exactly this. And this character corresponds to exactly this person. You know, I I like a more kind of ambiguous symbolism that that has numerous associations, but doesn't clearly respond to just like, oh, well, it means this one thing. But clearly, this seemed to be something that was on Chitilova's mind, like the pushing of heavy objects off of ledges, uh, therefore threatening somebody who is down below. But uh, I don't know. Did did you think about that? I I did. Now, thinking back on it, did they ever actually have anything land on anybody? Did the devil actually squash anybody? No, in the end, the devil ends up pushing the rock down a uh, down a hill, and it goes, it rolls into the bog. Remember, mm-hmm. and then he's trying, and then characters are standing on the rock so as not to sink into the bog. That's right. Uh, but I think there are multiple. I can't remember if it actually lands on Eva and kills her in the scene where they're pushing the statue out the window. I think it's implied that it does, but then she's alive again in the next scene. So yeah, I don't know quite what to make of it, but uh, like you, I like the ambiguity of it. It also ties into, again, the whimsical nature. Why is the devil pushing these rocks around? What's this about? I mean, I think to take it on the more serious side, you could say that it that kind of imagery could have something to do with, like, the hammer falling, of course, with the uh, the, the invasion of, of Czechoslovakia. But, um, 
but it's hard to get too specific about it. Yeah, or the devil's playing kind of a long game where, yeah, it's, it's about fun now, but ultimately it's about a rock falling on you. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details.
Now, one of my favorite sequences in the film was the sequence in which uh, our gal Eva here, who again is is both interested in the devil, but also in Robert the devil, but also is uh, you know a little afraid of him at times. And there's this wonderful scene where what they're everybody's out frolicking on the beach uh, or in the sand. Robert the devil drops the key uh, key from his pocket, and Eva steals it and then yeah. takes the key back and breaks into the devil's uh, room at the, uh, the the main building of the health spa and basically just snoops through all the devil's stuff. She finds a six stamp and gives herself a stamp on the the upper thigh. Uh, so yeah, probably probably my my favorite sequence in the film. Uh, so certainly my favorite uh, Eva sequence. Uh, because she's just frolicking around. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that part. And in fact, so she stamps herself on the thigh with the number six, and then she finds the stamp won't come off. And then she realizes, I think, that the other women who have turned up murdered were also <laughs> stamped with numbers. Yeah. And she's like, whoops. <laughs> uh, but when she's going through the devil's stuff... Is this the scene where she was opening drawers in the desk and they like one d- drawer is full of cherries yeah, and another yeah. drawer? <laughs> I can't remember. The drawers are all full of like implausible things. Well, he, he, he likes the color red. So yeah. he likes cherries, I guess. No, I didn't think about that. I guess that's rather obvious in retrospect, but I don't know. There's but a also lot to it's take more in. Fruit. It's more fruit too. That's right. Now, as you pointed out, uh, there is a lot of chasing in this movie, and it's not a in a consistent direction either. Characters sort of take turns chasing each other in different situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Eva chases Robert. Robert chases Eva. Uh, more shots of these surreal locations as they go about these chases, and so this is definitely a sequence where um, you know my brain was probably wanting to find more narrative than was present. Uh, but, uh, you know, you still, you still go with it. You know, one character's chasing the other. Uh, that's really all you need to know. This continues for some time, and, but eventually you're going to get to that big showdown, right? Um, which, I mean, I, I say that like it's a matter of fact. There's no showdown between Eve and the devil in the Bible, so uh, you might well not expect it here. But I don't know, it felt, it felt logical here because it's also this idea that the devil is killing people, so he's like a murder suspect. In any kind of film, if you present a murder suspect, there has to be a confrontation, right? Like that, that goes beyond like narrative structure. Like that seems to be some sort of a dis- divine imprint on reality. I thought it was interesting that this showdown takes place at a setting that would be a, a perfectly suitable location for an ending sword fight. If you're going to have yeah. He-Man battle the enemy, uh, you know, and they're crossing sabers, it's out on this like rock by the water's edge that looks very dramatic. But instead, what Eva and the and Robert end up doing there is uh, having these uh, sort of almost waiting for Godot like uh, uh, you know like. Like conversations that seem to end up in a certain place, but then that's immediately undercut. Like they're talking about whether he's going to murder her with this gun or not. And mm-hmm. then I think at one point he's like, okay, I'm going to murder you now. And then he doesn't. And then she gets the gun. And then <laughs> clearly something comes through from this about a, you know, a situation of, of dangerous ambiguity where like you, you feel the stakes are high, but you don't know if someone is your friend or your enemy. You don't know if they love you or if they're going to kill you. I'll also say that that Robert the Devil here doesn't get he doesn't have like a villainous monologue or anything. No. Uh, so there's there's no moment where he's like, oh, this was my design. I've uh, uh, you know I've, I've I've brought down God's creation or anything to that effect. Like he he, he it's played pretty uh, ambiguous with him as well, which uh, I think you know ultimately works quite well in this film. 
Now, as we said, even though this movie is not like super heavy handed and serious, it does clearly have a theme of something about the loss of innocence. Uh, I would mm-hmm. say this is characterized by like the uh, the changing color of Eva's clothing, like changing from uh, from like white to red, mm-hmm. and uh, and then also the parts where she's like trying to climb back over the wall into the garden, but she can't get over it. Mm-hmm. You know, like the state of innocence cannot be regained. And I guess this ties more into the kinds of themes that you would normally see in these other uh, maybe uh, uh, more constrained Adam and Eve type films. In fact, Rob, I know you you sort of did a deep dive on Adam and Eve movies. That Did, did you want to get into that here? Sure. Uh, but but first, I will say that another, th- another thing about the ending to this is that it, it does end in kind of a, on a somber note when she mm-hmm. she finally makes her way back to the Adam figure, to Joseph. And uh, yeah, they have this this kind of like somber interaction, uh, you know, as if to drive home. It's maybe not, it's it's not as, as mythic and overbearing as like as an angel with a flaming sword saying, all right, you got to get out of the paradise now, go out and have painful childbirth. But but there is this this somber sense of things are not going to be the same again. Yeah, uh, that that the innocence has been lost, but not in such an overtly dramatic way, but more in a a subtle way. Like one day when you realize that you were you're you're not a child anymore, or when you realize that you are a grown up, or that or that you are under at least by some definitions uh, an, an old person now. That sort of mm-hmm. thing. Like that seems to be the kind of vibe that they have, or that some change has happened in the world. Uh, that maybe you weren't even aware of it at the time, but now that change has definitely occurred and there's no going back. Yeah, I think that's profound. In fact, I was going to say that the the last feeling I had with the movie is you can't go back. Yeah. All right. Well, getting into other Adam and Eve movies just briefly, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these uh, because some of them we we might even come back to. I don't know. Um, I would say the Adam and Eve film that stands out to me the most is 1980s The Apple. Uh, I think we've talked about the Apple before, Joe. Just I mean, off off the podcast. Uh, have you seen the Apple? No, I haven't. I've it heard a, of it. It is a science fiction musical comedy film starring Catherine Mary Stewart as Eve, a Polish actor uh, Vladek Shebal as the Devil, and uh, Joss Ackland, the great uh, British actor, uh, as God in a small role. And it is uh, it is a lot. Uh, this is a film that a lot of people consider it to be a very bad film, but it it's beyond good and bad. Like it's it's beyond good and evil. It is. Uh-huh just a very strange film that is extremely over the top. Was this a Canon Films venture? Why do I want to say that? Um, I, I don't recall offhand. If, it, if Canon did not have a, have a role in it, it has that kind of Canon energy. Like, <laughs> like what, um, what chemical um, concoction helped create this vision for cinema <laughs> and then saw it realized? Yep, I just looked it up. It was indeed the Canon Group. It's Menahem right. Golan as director. It's this is, this is a Golan Globus film. Well, it is uh, it, it is also an acquired taste, but uh, uh, but but one that's a lot of fun. The, I think the Riff Track guys uh, did this years back, and it was a pretty fun riff at the time. Well, and even if it's known for being very bad, uh, I, I would like to check it out because this seems to defy the conventions. So if you ask me, I don't know a lot about Adam and Eve movies, but my guess would be they fall essentially into two categories. One is, uh, you know, your Ten Commandments style sort of like 
literal heavy handed religious film. And then the other style would be exploitation movie. That's just an excuse to show two naked people. Yeah. And, and here's the thing though. I think a lot of times there's considerable overlap between those two (laughs) because certainly, yeah, yeah, you do have this, this very, this old, um, you know, old Testament account of Adam and Eve at the heart here, but it inherently involves, uh, naked people walking around in paradise wearing little or no clothing. You know, maybe they have some leaves on that sort of thing. So there is some inherent titillation that's, that's unavoidable. Like how, if you're going to, if you're going to commit this to, to, to film, then you're going to have to make some choices about how how naked it is going to be. So you you see this this is strongly present in many of the more famous Adam and Eve films over the years. One that I'm particularly interested in that I didn't know about until just yesterday is Adam and Eve from 1983, an Italian production starring Mark Gregory. Mark Gregory was the hero in 1990, The Bronx Warriors, and the film Escape from the Bronx. These were kind of Escape from New York-esque uh, post-apocalyptic films. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Wait, was he, in, was he in Hands of Steel, the Italian Terminator ripoff we did? I don't think he was. No, this is a different dude. But uh, this guy had more of a, he was muscular, but leaner with really shaggy, dark hair. You'd recognize him if you saw him. Okay. I have read, I believe that George Miller of Mad Max fame did some of the secondary landscape shots in this uncredited, mm. but uh, it looks it looks so interesting. It has pterodactyls and cannibal cavemen in it. So they seem to, to perhaps set out to make Adam and Eve and then realize, well, we should go, we should make this even more fantastic. Why are there no cavemen? Why is there no cannibalism? Can we throw some prehistoric reptiles in here and have Adam kill one of them? Um I, it it sounds amazing. I haven't watched it yet, but I asked uh, the folks at Videodrome if they had it, and they're like, we will have it for you by the end of the week. So uh, I, I'm, I'm at least going to watch it on my own time. Wait, it has cannibal cavemen, pterodactyls, shirtless muscle dude. And th- this just sounds like a Bible-themed version of your Hunter from the Future. Is this just smashing together two genres, which one is Bible movie and the other is Italian leather diaper barbarian movie. I think you nailed it. Yes. <laughs> now, another adaptation that's worth uh, noting is the 1969 Mexican adaptation, The Sin of Adam and Eve, which has uh, Jorge Rivero in it, uh, who is in uh, Lucio Fulci's Conquest and also the film Werewolf. He plays Yuri in Werewolf, the extremely muscly, uh, mm-hmm. is he supposed to be a paleontologist or archaeologist i don't know but he's the one who wants to make a living werewolf and he does it by hitting a guy with a werewolf skull yeah yeah Uh, so you're big handsome muscle guy playing uh playing adam in this film uh i was looking around there's some there's one that's a 1970 iranian adam and eve film that's uh, listed on imdb but i haven't found much else about it Oh, and then there's a 1956 Mexican Adam and Eve film by director Alberto Gout. And, oh, I, I was reading about this one in Michael Weldon's uh, Psychotronic books. He says that this movie was given an A3 rating in 1956, which I'm to understand is like, I don't know if that's the equivalent of a G, but it was like a very family-friendly rating uh, because it was, quote, based on the Bible. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, there are other films with nudity that were being banned in Mexico at the time. Um, Weldon also writes that, quote, an all-naked premiere was held at a nudist colony and miniature Bibles were sold at some showings, which... <laughs> okay. 
I think that really drives home the idea of Adam and Eve films as Christian erotica right there. Like that it's able to sort of double dip where on one hand it's being, you know, it's a, they're having a screening at a nudist colony, clearly trying to maybe cultivate that Euro market for the film, but also uh, it is for the children. It is for the, the churchgoers and therefore it is uh, safe and wholesome for the domestic market. That's weird. <laughs> Adam and Eve movies are weird. There's no yeah. denying it. There's also only so much story there. Like, you, it, it makes sense oh, yeah. that you might add some dinosaurs and some cavemen in there, right? I mean, it's a very lean narrative. I mean, essentially, it's the length of a parable. You know, you, you can't – you're either going to have to go deeper into the story beyond, like, they leave the garden and then you do Cain and Abel and all that stuff. So, you could do that to stretch it out. Or you're going to have to embellish a lot. Or you're going to have to have a lot of non-narrative content in the film. I don't know, just lots of shots of the garden or something. Yeah, or it's just part of a longer narrative, such as the 1966 film, The Bible, colon, In the Beginning. And in that one, you had Michael Parks uh, playing Adam in an all-star cast. Whoa. I think George C. Scott's in that one. It's uh, What? Uh, yeah. I'm sure I've seen part of it on TV on a Sunday afternoon at some point in my life. You know, it's funny. I'm looking for the listener's benefit. Rob, you have attached a bunch of screenshots from various adam and eve movies over the years in our outline here it seems largely that these these characters are cast just according to uh how photogenic they are but like one direction seems like they often make adam like a like a muscle man mm -hmm. uh you know like a hercules type figure but the other ways they just make him like kind of an elf yeah and michael parks definitely played a very elfin adam uh, and, you know, I don't think I've seen much from his earlier career. Most of the, mostly when I think of, of him as an actor, I think of, of more grizzled performances that he gave later in life. Mm -hmm. And, oh, one more. The, there was also a 2013 miniseries titled The Bible. And in the United States, it was narrated by Keith David. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I haven't seen this one. But, oh, I included this very, um, it's kind of, greasy and grimy looking uh, still shot from this of Adam and Eve with Eve played by Darcy Rose. And uh, they're, they're out there in the garden, presumably. They have something that I'm, I guess is supposed to be the fruit, but it looks like some sort of a crimson egg jewel or something. And they yeah. look very serious, very, but also very Maxim magazine. Yeah, they're really dirty and the fruit looks like a century egg. Yeah. <laughs> So that's just a taste of some of the Adam and Eve movies, but but people have been making Adam and Eve movies for forever. Like you, I could also find some examples of silent films from as far back as 1912 and 1915. So you know, obviously, it's a famous story. It is also visually captivating, uh, and, and and so it makes sense that it would receive early cinematic treatment. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. And I, I will say I have not seen most of these movies. I don't know if I've seen any of these other Adam and Eve movies, but I've got to imagine. Uh, maybe, uh, along with the apple fruit of paradise has got to be one of the most unique takes on the story. Yeah. Oh, there was also a 1949 Italian comedy titled Adam and Eve that was produced by uh, Dino De Laurentiis. I included a, a poster from this. As you can tell, we have the a clearly beautiful blonde Eve, very blonde Eve holding the apple and also a clear comedic player in the role of Adam here. Uh, so, uh, so we've also been, we've been having some levels of comedic fun here, clearly over the top, uh, with this myth for quite a while as well. The Adam in this poster looks way too excited. He's, he's <laughs> like, his eyes are huge. His eyebrows are lifted up. It, like, yeah. You're giving you can me tell he's bad not vibes, taking dude. the source material seriously at all. 
Yeah, this looks like an Italian sex comedy. Yeah, I, I, I'm almost positive it is. Yeah, they're both not. Eve, look at look at her having way too much fun. Go ahead and leave the garden now. In fact, just go ahead and just out. I can tell. Adam here looks like a child who is showing you the like ridiculous looking character he made in uh, WWF Warzone for the <laughs> Nintendo sixty four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'd love to hear from anyone out there who has uh, has any additional info they want to share about Adam and Eve movies or uh, memories of seeing Adam and Eve movies early on. I'm I'm especially interested in in anybody who attended, say, a church viewing of of a film that featured the Adam and Eve story and what that was like. Mm. Um, because again, you get into the strange area where it is inherently titillating. Um, but it is also, you know, sometimes prevent, presented in this this entirely sacred and wholesome uh, package. So I, uh, I wonder how that went down for some people out there. Likewise, we'd love to hear from anyone who has thoughts about our, our central discussion piece here, Fruit of Paradise. Uh, you know, we are, or, or I speak for myself, I, I don't know much about Czech cinema. Uh, so I would love to hear from anyone out there who has more expertise in the world of Czech cinema. Perhaps you have thoughts uh, or additional notes on some of the players that were involved in this film, some of the other films they were in. Because again, I, I could look up these actors uh, and I could find more details on some of the films, but I just don't know much about this whole cinematic realm so much. Yeah, same here. I I was looking around. I, I think I'm I'm woefully uh, uh, underexposed to to Czech cinema. The closest thing I could think is uh, obviously I know the um, the American films of Milos Forman, who started in in Czech cinema, um, and I think was sort of of uh, the same generation as Chitilova, or at least was was somewhere around there. But then, of course, ended up making films like Amadeus. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm familiar with with him. I guess I'm yeah I'm more familiar with with the Czech directors who definitely crossed over into the into like the American market to some extent. And I've seen some of the films of, of Jan Svankmeyer, but not all of them. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and, uh, and close the book on this episode of Weird House Cinema. But yeah, right in. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if you want to check out our Letterboxd account, that's at uh, uh, L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D.com. We have a profile there. Our username is Weird House. Uh, you can follow us there. You can look at a list and a visual uh, compilation of all the films that we've discussed on the show. Uh, and also, I'll often go ahead and add the next movie on there as well, so you get like a little glimpse ahead at what's coming. Uh, also, I blog about the films that we watch here at samutamusic.com. Weird House Cinema is uh, our Friday episode in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. We're primarily a science podcast, but on Fridays we put aside most serious concerns and just talk about a strange film. And uh, yeah, anything else uh, we should throw in here? I guess I guess not. We're good to go, right? Right. Yeah. We are set to depart the garden. That's right. Out. Uh, just an did the animals get to stay? Unclear. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess they didn't eat the fruit. Yeah, true. I guess I should revisit my my Dante because you do get to visit the earthly paradise, the, the Mount of uh, Purgatory. Oh, that's at the top of uh, Purgatory. Yeah, I yeah, think so. Yeah. Okay, anyway, huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 